0: CoinWorld Plus is your new way to collect, manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins and much more. Learn more about CoinWorld Plus at CoinWorldPlus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store. Welcome to the CoinWorld Podcast. With your host, Jeff Stark. And as I've said
1: from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks.
2: And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. We're glad you're along with us for the Coin World Podcast. As we are set to go for today, I'm Larry Jewett.
1: And I'm Jeff Stark. And we are excited today because you are going to hear... Larry's interview, I mean I was sitting there, but Larry did the talking, of a numismatic artist, but not in the sense you may think originally. And it's kind of perfect that last week, last episode, we talked about the work of JSG Boggs. This week we're talking to Bob Julian, Robert Julian, the artist. So, Stick around for that, and of course, we'll have our usual foray into the depths of numismatic history.
2: Yeah, and when the interview comes, it's not like I'm trying to steal the spotlight, but I remember I made you work so hard with Jeff Coyan's interview that I just had to to come up and do my part. So I appreciate you being there on hand for that one, and I think folks are going to get some great enjoyment out of that indeed, and hopefully we'll be able to, in the near future, convey some of this onto the pages of CoinWorld or onto the website at coinworld.com so that you can get a good look. And if not, well, we tell you in the interview how you can see the great artwork that Robert Julian is putting together here now. And his love is very definitely evident in what he does. And I mean, it's just, it's great. You have to listen to the interview to understand a little bit more about what it takes and what a man thought about to create these great works of art. And I mean, I've already started clearing the space on my wall for him right there. So this was an opportunity to get a guest onto the podcast here. And again, we have had a couple of suggestions in the interim. And I want to thank you for taking the time to drop us a line to make some suggestions on some guests. We've had a few more names suggested to us as we're continuing to put them all together right here as we thank you so much. Many of you have uh, downloaded the podcast on a regular basis and continue to listen to it at your leisure. And we certainly do appreciate you being a part of our community right here as we've got a great community in store. Jeff, you've been busy here lately? I mean, I think that we've got a lot of things going on sometimes that, you know, you, you keep your hands in plenty of things.
1: Well, sure, you know, a couple weeks ago on a Sunday was the World Coin Club of Missouri meeting. That's always fun. I got to talk to some friends there, buy a few pieces for my collection slash accumulation. Can't really speak to much else beyond that. It's just been work, 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 and getting ready for a little vacation here soon. Gonna see some leaves fall, love fall. If I could, I'd take October off every year, September, October. And start up in Michigan and just sweep across the north down to the south in a, you know, sort of a pattern or, you know, plan it. Try to see as many of the states as possible. Love the leaves. Love getting outside hiking. So that's on my agenda soon. Get away from coins for just a bit. We have to be a little more uh, than numismatics. Love it. But sometimes you need a break. And uh,
2: yeah, I'll probably do that too. But in the meantime, I've got a couple of other things lined up. I meant to mention this last week, we went to a local antique market and my wife was able to find some antique toys, but she also was able to find some of the items to add to her collection where she got a 1940s era Japanese bill, a Japanese note. And she picked up a couple of more of her 1940s era coins from Germany, but we just got a major purchase not long, major for us anyway, thanks to our good friends at World Coin Gallery. So we're all excited about that. We haven't gone through every one of them yet, but that's been a couple of weeks already. But you know, you place the order, you get the coins. That's just how simple things go sometimes. So glad well, to have that happen. But by the time we're talking about this where we can be heard, I'm hopefully going to be at the fairgrounds over in Tampa for the Tampa Paper Money Expo. Found out about this. Uh, back during Collector Rava, right before fun, that this special event was coming into Tampa. And it just so happens it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I'm going to take some time. There's a balloon festival going on near there as well. But just the idea of going over and seeing the paper money display and spend a little time just in that niche of the numismatic side of things. I'm genuinely excited about getting the opportunity to go check out some great things there. I mean, you just think about, all the different things it could be and, you know, with the wife's interest in world and the color of world and that type of thing. It's just good. I'm excited. I'm genuinely excited to get away to it.
1: I'm I'm jealous of you for two reasons. I'd love to go to a show this weekend. There's a lot going on and I'm just too busy. But the other thing is you, you went antiquing. I went antiquing with a friend uh, last weekend that to a place actually that a listener of the podcast here in town told me about, and I was thinking, okay, you know, this this antique store is going out of business. What kind of cool deals can I get? Maybe there's some medals there, something numismatic, and not a thing numismatic to be found other than I should say a 1991 Littleton, uh, coin company catalog. I I got that just because it's interesting to look and see how these objects were marketed back then and probably still are being marketed and look at you know what the you know the the prices versus what maybe the where the market was more broadly i got some really cool 60 plus year old 65 year old almost football high school football programs from pennsylvania the graphics are just gorgeous and these were like a dollar a piece and you know it's it's stupid cheap, and it's just, I love paper. I have too much of it, but that was fun. Unfortunately, like I say, though, no numismatics to be found. Maybe, maybe in this next weekend, I can stumble upon something else. But enough about the quest. It's always about the quest, whether it's the quest for the next object in your collection, the quest for knowledge to inform your pursuit, whatever the case may be, it's all about the quest.
2: Yeah, that's part of what we put this podcast, you and Chris put it together to the idea to inform. And a lot of our regular segments of the Coin World podcast do simply that. And one of my favorite, obviously, I've said it time and time again and that is This Week in Numismatic History, because lots of great things happened, and it seems like, you know, no matter what time of year you're talking about, there's some pretty neat stuff that you've discovered. We appreciated you sharing the Special Olympic stories here recently, but tell us what you have now for This Week in Numismatic History.
1: So, this week, I am going to do something a little more personal, and I was excited to see that on October 19, October 19, 2002, that was the day that Scotsman Coins here in St. Louis auctioned the Robert L. Hendershot collection of 1904 St. Louis World's Fair memorabilia. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Hendershot is a name that should be familiar to collectors in general just because you know, well, we're, we're going to share why. He, he was a collector par excellence in in 1904 numismatics, literally wrote the book on the subject, superseding Kirk Kruger's much smaller effort from before. I think Hendershot's book came out in the late 90s. I actually obtained my copy of the book at the Missouri Historical Society many years ago, and I know Ron, who's listening, friend of mine here in town, is a big collector and fan of 1904 numismatics. The fun thing about Mr. Hendershot is that as a four-year-old boy, he attended the fair. And so to, to you know, basically 80, 90 years later, write the book about the objects from the fair and be the expert is kind of fun. And it got me thinking, I wonder what sort of areas are out there waiting for the Bob Hendershot or the, you know, fill in the blank, the named collector, you know, there's still a lot out there that somebody could become the authoritative voice on and share numismatic publication type efforts to inform people and get people excited about that area of the hobby 2002 this was before i went to CoinWorld. that was summer of 03 so you know i was here in st louis but i had no inkling that this was going on and i had no you know my involvement in the hobby was pulling coins out of the till at walgreens and buying them so it was a, a much different approach than today. I'm thankful to learn so much since then. I wished I could have been there and would have been, you know, had the uh, one iota of the knowledge, one scintilla of the knowledge, just a, a tiny portion of what I know now and and had been able to participate and buy some of the objects from that sale So you know that the 1904 World's Fair looms large in St. Louis history, and certainly in U.S. numismatic exposition history. In many ways, the city uh, is still living in the shadow of that fair. But yeah, I I found that fun, and that was particularly you know meaningful because I'm here in St. Louis, and and hey, that was kind of a big deal. St. Louis was, I want to say, the third largest city at the time. So. You know, it's it's not like today where we're, I think, somewhere down 25, 30 or, or even beyond. So that's what I pulled out. Little self-serving, but kind of fun in any event.
2: Well, I mean, there's plenty of things that happened during that exposition that, you know, affected history. And the idea, like you said, third largest city and the fact that, you know, the Central part of the country. Granted, California wasn't the wild, wild west back then, but just the idea that cities are different and, you know, it was a big deal. I mean, if Knoxville, Tennessee can host a World's Fair, then, you know, let's talk about that. But (laughs) anyway, uh, you know, we're going to be talking with Robert Julian coming up here a little bit later on. He's with the Lincoln Scent Society. He's also doing some great artwork, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. But like many of us, he was impacted by the events of 1976. And that's, of course, the year we had the Bicentennial coin designs and, of course, the nation going through the Bicentennial. When you're talking about special events like the 1904 World's Fair, let's talk about 1976, which was our Bicentennial year. So that's a good year to Jump off at the history of Coin World and take a look at what was going on in October of
1: 1976. So, you know, normally we talk about a news story from the related issue, but this week, this episode, I want to share a couple fun nuggets from the advertising that appeared just a few handful of pages into the issue. And it, it speaks to the objects that are available in the marketplace. Now, some of them are tougher than others, that sort of thing. But it's just, there was an ad on page six for the 75th anniversary commemorative silver ingot for Coca-Cola bottling works from Cincinnati, Ohio. Now, we we talked about a couple years ago now with Steve Austin of the International Association of Silver Art Collectors about the vast array of silver art bars that exist in the market and art rounds and all that. I mean, and, and, of course, the market for that these days is just – Uber fractured and specialized and you can get all sorts of exclusive made stuff from you know 20 different artists making their own thing if if not more than that but Coca-Cola big brand obviously most recognizable brand in the world and there are a series of art bars related to each bottling company like you know maybe Mobile Alabama Louisville Kentucky Cincinnati Ohio in this case and some of them are tougher than others and you know, that has a, you know, it's not just a somebody who wants to stack silver, maybe wants that. It's somebody who likes the Coca-Cola brand and story. You know, maybe somebody in this case from Cincinnati area wants it because it celebrates a, a local sort of institution. So I, I found that fun because it gives us a chance to talk about the silver art bars. And we certainly haven't talked about that much. And, and then right next to it, a smaller ad and, and related. I don't know that it holds true today. I don't even think the company exists anymore. But it says, attention, Franklin Mint collectors. If the Franklin Mint struck it, we're interested. Superior Stamp and Coin Company Inc. in Beverly Hills, California, at the time, is buying Franklin Mint material. We are ready to travel the United States to examine your collection. If your collection is the ten thousand to hundred thousand dollar range, we suggest a call to Mark Goldberg at our office for all of the easy details. And it goes on and on about the different, you know, nuances of selling your collection and and that sort of stuff. But it just, (laughs) boy, hindsight, you know. 1976 was just three, four years before the big spike in silver. What happened then during the the spike in silver? A lot of this stuff got melted. And, you know, because the price was too good to pass up, a lot of the people that were in the products, uh, the Franklin Mint stuff, you know, maybe the price had been uh, rather aggressive when they bought it. Well, that price spike in silver allowed them to get out from under it and, and, if nothing else break even, but in some cases make a profit, you also had—I don't remember the exact timing—forty-eight hours, no, sixty minutes. Did a a story about Franklin Mint products, and that really poof, the the market for them, uh, among other things. So you know, along with the the rising price, I should say. So it was interesting to see that ad and Superior Stamp. I believe I heard the name Goldberg in the ad. I think they're. Was a relation to the Goldberg? I and Larry Goldbergs. I could be wrong. Don't don't hold me to that. But it's interesting to see that advertisement in light of the fact that a lot of that stuff now trades at bullion-related prices with slight premiums if they're topical. You know, there's Native American designs on some of them. There's lots of different historical vignettes, famous people. Some of those for to the right person, if you job it out, you can you can get premiums over the the melt value but a lot of that stuff i've picked up a lot of it for my own accumulation at you know 10 20 percent above melt and it's just it's topical it's neat and some of them there aren't that many out there because they got melted they got you know or it was a subscription thing and they sold buku loads of the first tranche the first series and second series by the time the third fourth fifth whatever series it was by the time those sales were coming around there weren't as many people hanging on to that stuff and still buying it and some of those things can be really tough to find there's a great catalog of franklin works. krause publications did it um And they did it for several years in a row, sort of an annual thing. With some poking around, you can find some actionable good information, at least about how many were made. One of the pieces I have that was made by Franklin Mint was a silver medal celebrating the Cardinals World Series in 1967. So, you know, there's stuff out there that that has meaning and is fun and is to be obtained. And it just, it just, made me laugh and, and, you know, appreciate that this is where the market was in 1976, that they were advertising that they were trading in Franklin Mint product, because I don't know that anybody advertises that today.
2: No, probably not. And that's where we get to the letters page. A lot of the letters, good letters probably for the time, but the relevance is probably not much there. So we've got just one letter to pass along from that October 20th 1976 edition says coins make friendships. I would like to add my thoughts about the meeting of fine people through your paper. I read an ad offering walking Liberty halves at good prices and wrote to the gentleman in Minnesota. In my initial letter, I included some things about my background for reference purposes. What a pleasant surprise to find that we had so much in common, including background service organizations, ages, and families. Needless to say, he did have the kind of coins that he advertised, and the prices were just great for one who's on Social Security with no other income. I'd been desperately searching for someone with the right price, as I wanted to, uh, so much to try to complete my collection before I stand forth in the Great East. We had developed a friendship to the point where we hoped to visit one another. My newfound friend in Minnesota, myself in New Jersey, sometime this fall. One never knows where or when he will meet a brother. Thank you and your fine paper. It has much to offer if one takes the time to read it closely. And that's from William Shadewald out of Bayonne, New Jersey. Neat experience right there. Definitely a positive thing happening. So I want to just share that letter with you right there. We got one more item of business I want to get taken care of before we head off into our interview with Robert Julian. So I seem to think we had a question last week regarding JSG Boggs.
1: Yes, yes. Thank you for setting me straight. I was so ready with the question for everyone going forward. I forgot about the question the last time, but I know you know the answer because your your eyes lit up. I could hear that through the, the system. <laughs> I asked you what Boggs's first transaction was And I kind of, I think I said bonus points if you knew the the amount and when it happened and all that stuff. So, you know, JSG Boggs, you heard it last episode. Great story. Artist, paper money artist that copied U.S. banknote designs with his own flair. What was his start?
2: I think it was food. I think it was a sandwich. I think the... Transaction price was actually ninety cents because he offered up a dollar and got ten cents in change. The year escapes me right now because I don't have it written down in front of me here, but it is a well well detailed and interesting story.
1: You are correct. So you nailed it. Ninety cents. It was a dollar. I believe it was 1984. A waitress accepted the drawing for his tab, and so you you nailed it. Good job. For those who are just joining us and and did not hear that interview and understand the legacy of Boggs, check out last episode because it's a fun one, uh, and some of the pieces are really within reach for everybody. So you, you nailed it. Good job. Now we're talking about artistic design, right, with Mister Julian this week. So I wanted to know about you know the the favorite famous educational series is the silver certificate notes that were created in 1896 there Mm -hmm. are three denominations a one dollar a two dollar and a five dollar there are six people that appear on those notes name at least three of the people on the notes. so this is kind of you know uh, you know, you just, if you don't know it, you're probably not going to guess it right. But maybe you do know it because they are beautiful notes and famous. And certainly, if you haven't seen them, you should find images of those online. Check them out because they are gorgeous. Everybody loves them. Yep,
2: yeah, it predates Stan Musial. So that's going to be not one of the ones I'm going to go with on that one. So, But that's, yeah, that's definitely going to be one to talk thing. about. What's that?
1: The pride of Denora, Pennsylvania.
2: There you go. That's it. Absolutely. So we'll ponder that one as we get set to speak to Mr. Robert Julian. He is an artist out of the Chicagoland area who has developed a product that's quite interesting and indeed very attractive to a lot of folks. And we'll give you the details on how you can visually see the work of Robert Julian. But right now, here's that interview. The Coin World Podcast is delighted to welcome in Robert Julian today. Robert is from the Lincoln Scent Society, but above all else, he is the creator of some fantastic artwork that that's the time when I wish our podcast was actually visual. But right now, we're going to have to try to paint the picture the best way we can. First of all, Robert, thank you so much for taking your time and giving us a little backstory about how you got involved with this.
0: With the... Drawings and such? Yes,
2: with, with the drawings and everything involved.
0: Oh, well, I took in, I've always been interested in art from a very early age. And when I was in college and stuff, I was an art music major. I took in life, kind of pushed me into an engineering kind of uh, 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 to make a living working in engineering and stuff. But I've recently retired and I've gotten back into art so i just decided to start doing some drawings of coins right and that's kind of what got me here
2: what was it about coins that make a good subject for an artist
0: you know i'm i'm not really sure i i remember that fellow in the 90s who was doing like drawings of paper money and trading them for meals in restaurants and such. I always thought he was very fascinating. I took and I've been into photo, photographing coins quite a bit and such. And I always thought that there could be a little bit more, It's it's kind of an artistic expression. You know, when you're taking photographs and such, you're trying to copy specific aspects of a coin. And I kind of view it, Drawing coins and stuff, kind of like doing a, a portrait for somebody, you know? So it's not a literal translation of the coin. It's not a photograph, but it's, it's an artistic expression of the same thing. And coins are basically art to begin with. So it's kind of what got me to where I'm at right now. Did you have an interest in
2: coins other than as an artist?
0: Oh, yeah. When I was really young, my uncle would show me his coin collection. I must have been like four or five years old, and I really enjoyed going over it with him. And And he passed away in 1969. When he passed away, I got some of his coins, mostly a, a bunch of old wheat cents. So we would take and we'd sort them, and my parents got me the Whitman folders, and we'd put all these coins in the the things, and that got me interested in that. And so at that point, it was just collecting stuff from circulation. So that's when I got interested in coin collecting. Was at that point, and yeah, I've been, yeah, pretty yeah, much
2: like the rest of us in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'd been involved in it on and off for for years, and got kind of heavily back into it in the around 1980, but I was all over the place. I was you know, collecting anything and everything, but I eventually by the end of the eighties and stuff had just gravitated towards Lincoln sense and just heavily collected all of that stuff. And then I met a fellow named Lou Coles on a forum on the internet and we s- struck up a a friendship and and we through our conversations thought it would be nice if we started the lincoln Sense society right so okay. at that point we were just publishing a newsletter and writing you know everything we could I struck up a relationship with Annex and we started putting together a collection of Lincoln sense that was being certified by Annex. And we would go to the major shows around the country, set up a club booth and display the Lincoln sense society's reference collection for, for everyone to come by, and look at, talk about that kind of thing. It was a lot of fun.
2: Did you find there was a lot of interest in the Lincoln cent?
0: Oh God. Yeah. Everybody, even today. I mean, it's crazy. Um, even, you know, people who are collecting, you know, everything else, they've got their fingers in Lincoln sense in one way or another, it seems.
2: So then the society went dormant for a little while and you've recently brought it back?
0: Yeah, I, we took and at that particular time everything was done by hand. So we would we would print all the material, we would mail it out, we'd have to, you know, write it, do all the the work and the issue I had was that, you know, everyone was was interested in it, but not many people were actually interested in participating much. So it got to the point where I was writing all the articles. I was printing out all the newsletters. I was putting them in all the envelopes. I was doing all the postage and mailing them out. And I just burnt out, you know, after doing that for, for about five years, I just couldn't, I just couldn't keep up with it anymore. It was it was different. There there really wasn't, you know, there were no websites and no no news groups, no no stuff where you could just like set things up and publish it on the internet. Everything was done by hand at that particular point.
2: And that makes it a little more challenging, so I would think then the opportunity to come back, things got a little better for the society to come back. We'll talk a little bit more about the society, but I want to circle back a little bit onto your artwork here because, I mean, as we mentioned, our lives are full of starts and stops and you wanted to perhaps pursue a career, but then you got directed into engineering and I'm sure that had to put the artwork on the back burner. How do you keep the fire burning for something like artwork like that?
0: Oh, well, I never stopped. It's so, it's really weird. I took in and I... Used to do a lot of like paintings of all types and such. And I started gravitating towards drawings in my career in engineering. I spent a lot of time on a drafting table doing all these really precise drawings that were used for artwork for creating all these different parts and such that we were manufacturing. So I got to the point where where I was technically really accurate. So I started getting more and more into drawings. I, at one point I was doing animals, people's pets. I would take in, you know, everyone loves their dogs and cats. So for birthdays and Christmas, I would do drawings of their dogs and cats for them and give them out. And that, that was nice. But the problem with all that is, is for me to do an actual drawing of something like this, it. It takes me a good week, week and a half of time. So that's forty to sixty hours worth of labor to create a drawing. That's like these coins I'm doing now. They're they're basically like on a piece of paper that's thirteen by thirteen. So that takes me like like I said about forty to sixty hours to complete it. And nobody is really interested in in paying you for for 60 hours of labor for doing a drawing of their dog at least none of the people none of the people that i knew you know
2: but then they expected it as well without the you know the idea that they they wanted it so they expected it didn't matter what your cost was but Right. I I'm curious about one thing that when we talk about how the differences between I would wonder if the drawing that you're doing now, the artwork you're doing now, did you have to change your methodologies in any way to adapt to today's today's needs?
0: Well, here's here's what I learned and what I developed over over time was that when you're when you're doing a colored pencil drawing, the paper will only take so much pencil before it's totally saturated, right? So, I want to keep adding more layers of color, but it won't take any more color, you know, and and I wanted to get more and more depth to the drawing. So, what I learned to do was I would take the drawing, I would work it to the point where I couldn't work it any further, and then I would take it and, and I would scan it into I've got a large format scanner that i use scan it print it on a large format printer onto another piece of drawing paper and then i could start again adding more and more detail and more and more depth over the existing colors that are already there so it when i do things like that now i can overlay lighter colors of you know like you know light blues greens yellows oranges on top of like dark, dark blues, blacks, grays. And it, it gives the drawing just a a tremendous amount of depth. It, it makes it look more three-dimensional than I could achieve just by trying to do it all on one, one drawing one go. So I find that, that that works out really well in this media.
2: And as you're producing these, I mean, the idea, I mean, it staggers me to hear how many hours are actually involved in this. And so it's probably good that you're retired, that you have a little (laughs) more time on your hands here.
0: uh, Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why I was doing, I started doing prints. I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell per se a individual drawing to someone for all the to try to pay for all of the time it took to do it now that I do like a drawing of a coin a lot of people in who collect pennies have an affinity towards that same thing and they're willing to buy a print of that drawing uh, as opposed to having to pay for me to do the entire thing
2: and i would right. definitely think that there is some attraction to your work as the work word gets known about the work that you have out there because you know someone who owns a top quality coin isn't necessarily going to have it on display in their office they're going to have something that's going to be needed for a conversation piece and i would think this would fit the bill the artwork that you do would fit the bill for something like
0: that yeah i think it's it's like i said it's it's more like hiring or or getting a portrait painting of your particular coin it's not an exact photographic duplication of it although i i spend a tremendous amount of time trying to get every last detail correct but the the colors and everything that i use are you know slightly different than what the the actual photograph would represent you know trying to just make it a little more appealing artistically when it's hanging on your wall as opposed to just trying to to duplicate exactly what it is. If you wanted that, I could just take and take a photograph of the, of the coin and do a large scale print.
2: That just doesn't seem to have the impact that what you do would have though.
0: Now, the people that have have gotten these so far have all just been very complimentary about the whole thing. And, and I've been posting my Lincoln cent drawings on news groups on the internet. And I just did a, a Morgan dollar just to try to do something different that I was really happy with the progress on that, even though I've still got a little more work to do. You know, when I, when I do these things, the first thing I have to do is create pretty much a black and white drawing of the coin. So I don't start with a colored image. So I'll do a black and white drawing and end up with pretty much just a, as if you were to take a a grayscale or black and white photograph of the coin is what I end up with. And that allows me to get the, the contrast, the shadows and highlights exactly the way I want them. And then I'll take that. I'll make a print of that and then i'll start layering colors on top of that and and that again helps get me the the amount of depth and and color and saturation that i want
2: and the color to me is intriguing because you're talking about subjects that in the wild are basically one color they are just either copper or they're silver, whatever they are. And so what your work does is add an element to them or what I believe would, would be a dimension to them. You're not right. intending to duplicate. You're intending to create an artwork. Right.
0: Right. But they want it to be representative of their particular coin. I think, you know, it's kind of, you know, when I'm done, it, it's representative of the piece but it's, it's more artistic, if it were. And I take in, and, and I don't tend to include all the blemishes that go, that go <laughs> along with it. You know, it ends, up, it ends up being somewhat nicer than the actual coin if you were to blow it up.
2: I think that's somewhat judicious that they use in the family portraits as well. They don't put all the blemishes and, on there. Yeah, they
0: leave all the warts out.
2: When the decision is made to create an artwork like this, who determines the color palette that you use on that? Is that a client request, or is that basically on your experienced eye?
0: Well, for example, Bill Coram wanted a drawing of his 1909 VDB matte proof, right? So I had done a, a drawing of just a, a 1909 matte proof, but the coloration wasn't right for him, so he sent me his PCGS TrueView shot showing the the colors um, that that showed up on the coin, and I took my 1909 proof drawing and modified it to to alter the colors to better represent his coin. And
2: right, so that just makes it a natural fit.
0: Right. So so when it's done it's representative, but like I said, it's it's not an exact duplicate. He was he was very happy. He made a little video of it and he put it on the newsgroup. He was he was thrilled.
2: And that's what we want to talk about now because what we're doing is we're doing a disservice to our listeners by not providing an example of your work. And certainly this is seeing is believing. This is beauty is in the eye of the beholder and other, other cliches that I'm not going to call out right. But just the idea is, what we have to find out from you is, where can I go to see examples of your work? Where can I go to acquire examples of your work?
0: Well, right now, I'm, I'm trying to set up some websites for that type of thing. But the easiest way to see any of this stuff would be on Facebook, if you just go or search for the Lincoln Sense Society Facebook page you'll be able to see stuff there and you'll be able to get in in contact with me through that. It's an open page. There's no membership. Anyone can see it. I think also on Instagram, I think I've got a matching page on Instagram and, you know, it, it mostly is concentric around Lincoln sense and, and that type of thing being the Lincoln sense society, but I'll, I'll slip in some other drawings every so often.
2: That's his variety, the spice of life there. Are there plans to take your work to some of the regional shows like Central States?
0: I haven't actually gotten to that point yet, but yeah, I would like to be doing that. I think I have to build up a little bit of a broader repertoire first. I think I should work up um, nice examples of pretty much one, at least one of every every denomination that i could show so you know i need to do like a you know a buffalo nickel on a mercury dime roosevelt dime jefferson nickels what whatever people may be interested in seeing but the silver coins like the morgan dollar and those are so much easier than the than the copper coins the lincoln cents so much easier to do
2: and yet these objects are so small in real life, but yet you can bring them to life with color and with size. And it's, yeah. it's very impressive that way. Well, I want to thank you too, by the way, for mentioning JSG Boggs. That was a subject of our previous podcast, as a <laughs> matter of fact. Yeah. So, yeah, he
0: was really good.
2: Yep, definitely. So it definitely, you know, we learned a lot from Jeff Coyan in that one, as we've learned much from you today. Mr. Julian, appreciate that very much. And again, so Let's, let's get it out there once again, because I'm sure that we're going to send them scurrying to the Internet. The Internet seems the big place to where we can find examples of your work right now.
0: Right. Right. At the Lincoln Sin Society Facebook page. Just Lincoln Sin Society. You should be able to find it.
2: And now I'm going to go carve out a page on the actual print magazine in coin world so that we can get some of them there as well. But I do appreciate your time. Once again, you have beautiful work and you continue to do work. It must be gratifying to be able to see the satisfied customers and knowing the enthusiasm for something that you, you are creating, you, you alone are creating. And that's always been an artist's dream, I would believe, to have a unique niche in, in the yeah. world of art.
0: Well, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys. This won't
2: be the last time we talk. Thank you.
0: Okay, great. And that was our interview with Robert Julian.
1: Thank you so much for listening and still being here with us. Hope you found that informative as um, we enjoyed it. And uh, thankfully, thanks for being here every week. And we just can't say enough about that. And thanks to CoinWorld Plus. And is there anything to add, Larry? Uh,
2: no, we're really much, we are here at the end. Thank everybody for coming along here. Where We definitely get a lot of enjoyment out of this and a lot to think about on what we have. As I'm still pondering the question that we have, and hopefully you'll be able to answer that one too. But thanks for listening once again, and keep subscribing and tell all your friends in the numismatic world to check us out on the CoinWorld podcast. In the meantime,
1: happy collecting.
0: Thank you for listening to the Coin World Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. CoinWorld Plus is your new way to collect. Manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinWorld Plus at coinworldplus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store.